Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. In today's interview, I am talking with Dr. Christopher Willard, author of Raising Resilience, The Wisdom and Science of Happy Families and Thriving Children. In every spiritual tradition, we find teachings on the virtues and qualities that we most want to pass on to our kids. These are generosity, kindness, honesty, determination, and patience. Today, a growing body of research from neuroscience and social psychology supports these teachings, offering insights into cultivating these virtues in ourselves and in our families. Raising Resilience is a practical guide for parents and educators of children from preschool through adolescence. It details 10 universal principles for happy families and thriving children. Bridging the latest science with Eastern wisdom to explore ourselves and share with our children, Dr. Willard offers a wealth of teachings. The practices in his book ultimately come together to help us build thriving, happy, and resilient families and communities, regardless of how we categorize them. Raising Resilience is an accessible resource to help each one of us and our family members evolve and grow into our best selves. Dr. Christopher Willard is a clinical psychologist and educational consultant based in Boston, specializing in mindfulness. He has been practicing meditation for 20 years and has led hundreds of workshops around the world, with invitations to more than two dozen countries. He currently serves on the board of directors at the Institute for Meditation and Psychotherapy and is the president of the Mindfulness and Education Network. He has presented at TEDx conferences, and his thoughts have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mindful.org, and elsewhere. He is the author of Child's Mind, Growing Up Mindful, and Raising Resilience, as well as eight other books for parents, professionals, and children, along with six sets of cards and therapeutic games all available in more than 10 languages. He teaches at Harvard Medical School. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Spirituality and Mindfulness, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Elizabeth Cronin, a host of the channel. Today, I am talking to Dr. Christopher Willard about his new book, Raising Resilience, The Wisdom and Science of Happy Families and Thriving Children. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's just great to be here, and what a great topic right? New books on, on, on spirituality. Yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to this podcast and not just my own. <laughs> so anyway, I wonder if you could begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be interested in mindfulness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, th- there's a few different paths that kind of come together and converge. So one is, you know, I've, I've got this real interest in teaching kids about mindfulness and young people and families and parents. And, you know, I never heard the word mindfulness when I was growing up. Like it was just not nearly as popular as it is now. But of course, you know, in a sense, mindfulness is nothing new, right? It's, it's some, some, some new words to put on some concepts that are probably familiar to all of us. And I like when I teach to start with this story because I think it helps people who might feel like, oh, mindfulness is this exotic thing, or I don't know how to do that, or it's got to be some religious thing to, to really kind of clear up those misconceptions. So I just think about when I was a kid, and I would go to this really lovely nature camp, not, not far from my house growing up, you know, seven, eight years old. And they would do these things like, let's go into the woods, and let's walk as quietly as we can in the woods. Can you walk without making a sound? Let's sit down in the woods and let's just listen to all the sounds of the forest. Like right, right now, Betsy, I'm actually sitting outside. I can hear, I can hear the crickets chirping. I can hear the, the wind rustling in the trees, right? And, and things like this are being with my dad and just watching clouds in the sky. And so, you know, we've all had experiences that are like this or looking at a fire or looking up at the, the stars or digging in the garden and feeling in the moment. And to me, what then happened was, you know, so I was seven or eight or something, as I said, and then fast forward, you know, 12, 15 years. And I was having a very difficult time in college. I I went off to school, did about three years and kind of really fell apart, which is, you know, part, again, part of my, my interest in this work is working with young people, because what we're seeing these days is just record numbers of high school kids, but really also college kids, just totally falling apart, right? Handling the work, but not being able to hold themselves together emotionally, psychologically, dropping out. The, the, the rates of dropout for college freshmen is, is through the roof. The rates of mental health issues for college students is through the roof. And, you know, I'm an early adopter, so I was early to, to dropping out of college for mental health <laughs> issues. So, you know, my life kind of fell apart. And my parents had gotten really interested in mindfulness at that point, you know, by the word, by the name mindfulness. And so they dragged me basically on this meditation retreat. This is back in 1999 with um, Thich Nhat Hanh, who some folks might be familiar with. And, uh, you know, it was totally transformative and life-changing for me. And, and on that retreat, you know, I just, I, I kind of was thinking back, I was like, oh, this mindful walking this reminds me a lot of that experience I had when I was a kid. It takes so much focus to walk as quietly as possible or, or mindful listening practices being a lot like looking, you know, back at my time, just sitting in the woods and nature or, 
you know, thinking about impermanence as we, you know, watch the clouds kind of appear and disappear and pass, pass by in the sky. So, um, you know, from there, I, you know, I, I had the bug, you know, which I think happens to a lot of us who discover, you know, a self-help path or a mindfulness path, a spiritual path of some kind. And, you know, I was like, I, I want my life to center around this somehow. Now, I was an English major, not a psych major. And so, so to me, what happened along the road is that that turned into writing. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think you're spot on about the rising levels of anxiety, um, especially in college students. My last podcast was with uh, Dr. Holly Rogers, who mm-hmm. developed the Koru program at, at Duke University. Oh, and, it's such a great program. Yeah. So she speaks to that as well. Um, but it's so fascinating because as children, there is sort of a natural presence in childhood mm-hmm. that somehow somehow falls away. And, um, you know, it takes books like yours to <laughs> help parents and help help all of us kind of find our way back to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Specifically this book, how did you come to write this one? And we're, we're talking about Raising Resilience. Um, and so this book came, you know, this is kind of a fun story. I've, I've written a couple books at that point about mindfulness, about mindfulness with kids. I wrote a couple books for, for teenagers. And, um, and I was feeling like, you know, a, a few things kind of converged. And, and one was feeling like, okay, I've, I've written a lot about this topic. And I'm also watching the, the growth of explosion and growth of mindfulness you know, around the country and, and honestly around the world. I spent a lot of time, you know, going different places in the world and watching this growth of mindfulness. And um, what was interesting to me is how, how can we continue to do this with a lot of integrity, right? So there's, there's also simultaneously a, a good friend of mine um, who's a mindfulness and kids and families teacher, you know, said someone had asked her, well, well, what's next? What's the new mindfulness? And she and I got talking and we're thinking, maybe rather than focusing on, on what's next, we should maybe focus on like, well, what's kind of before mindfulness in some ways to make sure that we're teaching with integrity. So that's where part of the idea came from. And then the other part came from, you know, I've got a, uh, a five-year-old now who just started kindergarten and a, and a one-and-a-half-year-old um, who's still toddling around upstairs as we speak. And this is before my, my five-year-old was born. He was, you know, well, he was zero when he was born, obviously. So, you know, I, I went to my mindfulness teacher and I said, how am I going to keep up my meditation practice? Like once I have a kid. And she basically said, you know what, Chris, like forget, forget your meditation practice. Forget sitting on your cushion. That's not, that's not actually what this is about. Like you're sitting on your cushion is, is only part of the work. Oh, here's, here comes my 18 month old right now. Hi, Maisie. Um, and so <laughs> what, um, what, what, what happened was she then said, why don't you focus on the paramis? And I said, well, what, what's, what's that? And she said, well, these are these, these 12 principles, these 12 values that come out of actually many, many Eastern philosophies and traditions. There's, there's variations on these. And it, it kind of translates as, as perfections or as values or as virtues, depending on the kind of translation that we're looking at because these things are actually probably a lot more important than knowing how to sit still with your eyes closed and 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 watch your thoughts and so i I found this really interesting for myself to think about cultivating but also you know how could i cultivate these kinds of things in 
in my kids and our kids. So it's, you know, it's concepts like generosity and simplicity and, and wisdom and patience, um, uh, kindness, right? These things, I think equanimity, these, 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 these qualities that I think we can all get behind, right? That, you know, sometimes they're a part of a spiritual or religious tradition, but as we're a more secular society, right? How do we continue to really cultivate these? Um, and so that's what got me really interested in, in bringing this to, to families and kids, bringing these qualities. Because if we want mindfulness to last, then we actually really have to start, you know, looking at, you know, the, the ethics and the, the virtues with which we're, we're practicing. And, and these things are at least as important if we want, if we want mindfulness to really last and, and, and grow in a way with integrity. Right. Absolutely. I think, um, I think organizing the book in this way is helpful because it allows a parent to kind of go through the contents and find a chapter that, you know, addresses something they might be struggling with. And you know, I think that's, that's really useful. It's also useful that in the book, at the end of each chapter, you do a nice um, sort of summary of the key points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, like a little cheat right. sheet. So when you here's, go back, you're like, okay, yeah, remember, I'm supposed to remember these right. things. Here's, here's 10 ways to, to work on generosity with myself and my family. And yeah, yeah, I wanted it to be as helpful as possible. Because I know parents, you know, uh, once I became a parent, it's like, oh, I don't quite have time to, to sit around and read a long book, you know, and certainly I don't have time to sit around and read a long parenting book. It's like, I need some something that's to the point and that's quick and that's got some good summaries of ideas and is really practical too. You know, I, I, I think too many, too much writing is too theoretical and not just sort of, but what do I do? You know, especially when it comes to Yeah, parenting. that's another aspect yeah. that I think is helpful. You do have built in some reflections, some, you know, questions that parents can ask themselves to sort of, mm -hmm. not just to help point them in a different direction, but to also help them recognize that, you know, most parents are doing a pretty good job too. I mean, they're, they're trying. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, I really like the part that you did on equanimity, the chapter on equanimity. And I think it's a real mm -hmm. struggle for parents that you talk about radical acceptance of not knowing. I wondered, could you say a little more yeah. about, about yeah. that? Cause that, that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, I think that one of the things you talk about anxiety and college students, but there's a lot of anxiety involved in parenting. Oh my gosh. And there's, there's so much learning how to be comfortable with what we don't know. Right. And it starts even before our kids are born. You know, my, 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 my wife and I were very lucky, but so many friends who went through, you know, IVF and, and, you know, are going through adoption processes and there's so much not knowing, you know, just when you think, you know, like, oh, let's become parents. It's like suddenly you're entering all this not knowing and then not knowing through the pregnancy or through the process. And then, you know, when that child is born, you know, just, you know, all, all of this not knowing, not knowing how they're going to what kind of adult they're going to be, not knowing what kind of teenager or even kid they're going to be, if they're going to be, you know, you and I are, are, are old colleagues from, from graduate school and, and working together in the past, that, you know, and so we see all the ways things that can go wrong, right, in terms of, you know, mental health issues or trauma or learning disabilities or, you know, all kinds of other stuff. You know, we, we hear usually not the best stories, right? So there's so much not knowing from that, that you know, just – turning our child over to the care of, 
a babysitter or a school or, you know, even one of our relatives, right? Are my, you know, are my in-laws still qualified to be good caregivers? I'm not always so sure, right? All these questions that we all have to the not knowing of, you know, through adolescence of, you know, where, where is my kid, you know, and, and, and should I put on the tracker on their phone or should I not? And, and off to college and beyond just having to, having to let go of, of control and needing to know all the time. I think this is so, this is so hard um, and, and such a challenge for so many of us as parents. Um, and yet once we become comfortable with some degree of that, Right. I think we become much better parents. We have to learn how to trust the world and the universe, which is not easy. We have to learn how to trust our kids and to trust ourselves too as, as decent but imperfect parents, right? None of us is going to be a perfect parent, but we can still trust that we'll make mistakes. We'll be resilient as parents. Our kids will be resilient as kids. We'll make a mistake. We'll, we'll learn from it. And, and even, you know, hopefully talk about some of those mistakes with our kids and say, yeah, you know what, I overreacted to that. Or, you know what, I think I actually underreacted to that. And, um, you know, and, and, and we are going to change some things. I think having that humility is also really important in, in maintaining our equanimity through, you know, it's going to be a roller coaster. It just is. <laughs> it just is parenting. Right. Yeah. So that gets to another, I don't know, I forget which, which it category it falls under but and it is a roller coaster and it's really a lot of the times how we react and and how our reactions then serve as we serve as a role model for our children and and one of the reasons why becoming a more mindful parent can be helpful to our children is is that's a primary way to teach them right right exactly and, and i think you know, what we want to do as parents also is not repeat the mistakes of our parents, but then at the same time, right, we also want to not just be parenting in total reaction to doing the opposite of, of our own parents or our own childhood. And that, that becomes not so helpful. So again, it's sort of knowing what are our own buttons that are getting pushed and what is it that we really want to model for our kids going forward so that they're getting something you know, just, just hopefully a little better than, than what we got. We don't, you know, we're not having to, again, you know, be perfect parents in any way, but just right. Good enough parents, as the saying goes from, uh, from Kohat, you know, who's the, the old psychoanalyst, right. Just being good enough parents. And I think a book like yours is helpful because as much as parents need to sort of trust themselves and, as you say, sort of trust the universe. I think we're all looking for some sort of guidance, you know, and, and you pull together in this book um, so much wisdom from other books that I think is, is really helpful. I, I thought it was fun to note that you even have the popular book about the, what was it? The Marie Kondo, the tidying up. <laughs> yeah, right, right. How did There's that influence you? Simplicity and in simple living, and um, and 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 I and, and that also borrows a lot from uh, oh my goodness, uh, Kim John Payne's Simplicity Parenting, which is one of my all-time favorite parenting books. But it's like, you know, it's not saying don't try so hard, but it's like it's like find that middle path. Like 
your kids don't need a million toys. They need a few really good toys. Like, you know, you don't need to do all these complicated things as a parent, you know, like you don't need a perfectly rigid schedule, but like looking at more like routines and rhythms of your day. Um, it's, it's, you know, those kinds of concepts, giving yourself time off, giving your family time off and, and family time, like all these kinds of concepts. Um, there's so much great, great wisdom out there. Um, you know, from other, other great teachers and other great parents and and parenting folks, and even just in the self-improvement and self-help world that we can, we can draw on. And that, that's a lot of what I tried to do in in the book too, and really giving those folks credit and, and, and boosting their voices, because I think, you know, there's so much good stuff out there. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Yeah, you've really definitely captured a big chunk of of, um, popular ones. I also am a big fan of Thich Nhat Hanh, and it's interesting because I used to keep his little book um, pieces every step on my nightstand. And if one of my kids was out or had just started driving and I was anxious about that, (laughs) I would read some of the passages. And for whatever reason, I think everyone has to search for their own material, but it really was calming to me. What was it like to, you did a retreat with him? Yeah, a few times actually. Um, You know, so for me, it was like, you know, I, I basically, the, you know, my parents ended up kind of, I was such a mess and my parents actually ended up basically dragging me on this retreat with, with Thich Nhat Hanh. And I was, I was curious about it. I was open to it. And it was just, this was in 1999. This is, this is exactly 20 years ago, basically summer. Wow. And, and it was just so transformative for me personally. Um, suddenly life felt meaningful and, and his presence is, is very powerful. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not like a woo woo guy, you know, like the one thing about this book and, and all my books is like, they're very grounded in science and they're like, let's, let's explain what's happening in the brain or like, let's look at the study on this. Um, right. you know, but, but just being in his presence is very, very powerful, very immediate. And, um, and I've seen him a few times in the, in the interim. Um, I, I did a few other retreats with him and, um, I think the last time I saw him, he was at a conference here in Boston and it was maybe 15 years after, um, I'd seen him probably like 2013 or 14 or something. And, uh, maybe it was even a little bit before that. I remember sitting in the front row of, of this, uh, this, this conference and, and he and his monks came out and they did their chanting and just, just feeling, you know, just just bawling with emotion, with of, of gratitude for what it felt like to be in in this this person's presence. Um, just so powerful, and he he blurbed my first book, and I remember, you know, that was like probably about <laughs> the biggest honor of my life. Um, and, oh yes, uh, feeling you know that that he had in in some ways you know connected back to me, and you know, it, so you know, I think he just. You know, his his version of mindfulness, you know, and there are many versions of mindfulness and his is really just, 
you know, I think for many people, it's like, oh, mindfulness means sitting on a cushion or mindfulness means, you know, doing this thing and taking time out of my day. And where I think he's so powerful is he's like, no, mindfulness is about, you know, this, this is about every moment in the day. This is about bringing mindfulness to, you know, as we're walking down the street, as we're thinking about what we, you know, what, what food we put into our body. And I, I mentioned this in the book, too. He talks about, you know, what, what media are we putting into our body? What, what video games, what music, what television shows are, are we consuming and, and are kids consuming? And what is that doing to us? And, you know, how can we bring mindfulness to, to really every, every aspect of our life? And, and he, you know, he's just so powerful and inspirational in, in, in teaching us how to do that. Um, and so some of my work is like, here's a little fun mindfulness practice, right? Or here's a concept. But you know, I, I, what I love about his work is it's really how do we permeate and bathe everything in, in mindful awareness, everything that we do. Right, right. And it, I guess that takes us back to what we were talking about a minute ago about how someone's presence can really make a difference and how as, as parents, the way that we're with our children can really make a difference. And again, that's, that's, I think why I like the, the chapter on equanimity. It's because that seems like it's one of the biggest challenges when you have a child who's very distraught about something or comes home and tells you they hate their teacher. How, how do you, how do you have sort of that Thich Nhat Hanh sort of, how do you radiate that sense of presence so that you can stay calm and your child realizes that the world's not falling apart. Right. Right. Absolutely. And I think as parents, I mean, it's, it's a little bit like as, as therapists, um, you know, we, we try to just hold an, an openness and acceptance kind of validating what those feelings are, you know, and, and then really, you know, helping, helping our child get underneath them, helping ourselves get underneath them. It's become something of a, of a joke in our house. We're trying to have our son not say, you know, I hate this and I hate that. So right. my wife and I are walking around being like, oh, a parking ticket. Oh, I, I strongly dislike getting a parking ticket. <laughs> right. Yes. You know, yes. That. And of that word. My son just, he totally called us out last week. He was like, you're just saying that to not say hate. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're too yes. smart for that. Yes. You're um, right. You're right. <laughs> But talking about, you know, like what's, what's underneath that. And, and these are strong feelings and these are, these are uncomfortable and, and we can all learn how to, you know, just be with them um, and explore them. And what does that feel like in your body? And, and, you know, what else might be going on today that, you know, we're having such a strong reaction to our teacher or what might be going on with our teacher, right? You know, trying to, you know, get curious about them. I think you know, my friend Amy Saltzman often talks about this, this aspect of mindfulness with kids as, you know, we're, we're teaching curiosity, right? Me, mindfulness is often teaching. Can I get curious about, Oh, what does it feel like to walk? Right. What does it, what does this raisin actually taste like? Right. But then it's also, what is, what is, you know, can I get curious about this emotion? Can I get curious about this sensation about this reaction I'm having or that this, you know, that my, that my child is having, can I get curious about that? So yeah, I think, I think allowing us to be open and curious and trying to not, judge and, and jump on things but you know well what is this what is this hatred or this strong dislike what does this really feel like in my body right and and everywhere else I think that's that that's where it gets interesting too yeah and so the challenge is that what you're suggesting is that 
parents respond in a way that for many of us is foreign. Right. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if if I if I had become very anxious about something, my parents' inclination was to calm me down mm-hmm. by reassuring me and telling me, "Oh, there's nothing to be worried about," or mm-hmm. which can sometimes have, of course, you know, be the opposite effect and not be helpful. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's first just validating it. You know, we we can we call this, you know, name it to tame it, in a sense, right? I think, you know, we've heard that word and you need to feel it to heal it and, you know, all these kind of, you know, somewhat, you know, trite cliches. But the name it to tame it thing is so powerful because when we name our emotions, when we name other people's emotions, it actually really does this cool thing in our brain. So here's what happens. If you put people in an MRI machine and you show them pictures of faces with different strong emotions, you end up with... You know, people, you, you can watch someone's like limbic system, their emotional system, the amygdala, the alarm system in the brain starts to light up in the brain, right? And then as soon as they name it, they say anger, they say fear, they say worried, right? You actually watch the blood flow out of there and it flows into our prefrontal cortex and our insular cortex and our hippocampus and all these parts of the brain where we're actually processing those emotions, turning them into thoughts responding rather than reacting quite so strongly. And it's really, really powerful. So actually just learning how to name and validate is, is an incredibly powerful thing to do. And we do that for our kids, right? Before they can do that, we do that for them, right? And we say, oh, you're feeling this, or are you feeling that? And we also help them do this. We do things like Right. Even just reading, reading out loud to our little kids. One of the pieces of research I found in my research on this book was right, if you're reading a picture book out loud to your kids, one of the things that you can do is just just every so often just pause and say, oh, what do you think this character is feeling right now? Right? What is their face telling us? And if you do that when kids are three or four, you actually see those kids when they're six or seven, they're like sharing more with their classmates and they're happier and they're regulating their emotions better. So it's actually really amazing these ways that we can teach kids how to name emotions and that we validate their emotions. And that really helps them learn how to self-regulate, which we know is, is so important. You know, you and I certainly know that that's so much of our work is teaching kids and adults how to self-regulate and not, not be overwhelmed by their strong emotions. Right. And I think, again, that's why this book and organized this way so that a parent can go to a section that they're struggling with, because I have found that in the work I do with adults, that it's actually helpful to teach the adults yes. um, right. the skill, because right. you can get a child on board and then they're just frustrated because <laughs> they can't teach their parents. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it and it so much does start with parents, right? Whether it's you know teaching mindfulness, we got to start teaching mindfulness from parents on down, <laughs> right? Much easier to start with, harder and easier to start with parents, right? Than it is to start with kids, and 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 all of these things, generosity and compassion and patience and all of it, easier to start with with parents, or more effective to start with parents than it is mm-hmm. just with our kids, yeah. Right, right. So is you. As you travel around, and I know you do talk all over the world and interact with people, what what strikes you as being really big right now? 
I mean, we talked about the level of anxiety for, for really emerging adults um, and for all of us in some ways. Yeah. But what do you see in, around, around parenting? Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think parents parents are busier than ever, and that's really tough, right? Because I think parents are, are, are facing you know, more financial insecurity, more emotional insecurity, you know, we're, right. we're worried about, you know, the, the political climate, the, the, the earth's climate, <laughs> um, you know, what's going to be left for our kids, you know, both financially and environmentally. Um, I think these are big worries. And, and this is true everywhere, absolutely everywhere I go in the world. And I've, you know, I've been teaching mindfulness to, to parents and therapists and teachers in, I don't know, 24, 25 countries now. And like, it's, it's just fascinating to see this and, and, and parents are worried about technology and the effect that's having on their kids and just the amount of speeding up our cultures are doing. And I think that's why there's this real interest, this real curiosity about how do we get back to mindfulness in some ways, because there's, you know, we're, we're doing so much speeding up everywhere. I, I think that's why there's this counterbalance that's really growing everywhere in the world at the same time. Um, which I think is a, a really, really good thing. And so I'm actually, one of the things I'm doing now is I'm interviewing a colleague of mine uh, and I are interviewing, I think it's like 35 or 40 countries, just seeing what's going on with mindfulness. It's like, what's, what's happening down in Brazil? Like, you know, with, with mindfulness, what's happening in New Zealand, what's going on in India and in China and in South Africa. And it's, it's fascinating to see that this, this, this stuff is really taking root everywhere around the world, both for adults and for kids. So that's, that's been really fun and and really rewarding for sure. Oh, it's, it is, it's, it's amazing. I did years ago, I did the training that is offered through mindfulness without borders. Uh Yeah. And so they're doing, they have a really amazing curriculum and it's nice to hear that you're doing this work because I think there's a lot of people going in different directions. And at some point um, it'd be great to figure out a way to sort of, I hate to say standardize, but try to get something formal and structured in place. Because I think, you know, obviously starting starting with the schools, it, it makes a lot of sense to get this out there, all this information. Yeah. And I mean, it's really, it's skills, right? right? right absolutely. Craig? Absolutely. And, and it's, and, and like any skill, right. It takes practice, right. We're not all, you know, we're all born with the capacity for mindfulness is I think actually a really important thing to remember. And I've had those experiences of walking quietly in the woods or, you know, looking at a sunset or, you know, being really in the moment. But it's also a skill that we can cultivate, that we can practice, just like going to the gym, right? We all figure out how to walk, but we can also make ourselves stronger physically, and we can really make ourselves stronger emotionally and mentally through through mindfulness practice and through other contemplative practices and through psychotherapy and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that actually is a question I think comes up a lot. Do you think people have to meditate? I go, you know, I go back and forth on this because I, you know, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, I'd be like, everyone should meditate. Then there'll be like world peace in five years. And like, you know, maybe, you know, I think it'd be great um, if we all learned some, some degree of this and some elements of this. But I also think that there are many, many paths. And, you know, and then, and then, you know, where this, you know, the book Raising Resilience came from was, you know, look like, you know, I, I've, 
I've got a, a five-year-old, you know, like, I mean, honestly, it's like, I was just getting back to my practice, just getting back to sitting on my cushion somewhat regularly, you know, and then my daughter was born, you know, it's like, you know, I've got a three-year-old. Okay. He's like sleeping. All right, here we go. All right. I'm back on my cushion up. Oh, now I've got, you know, a newborn baby again. And it's like, you know, this is not so easy. I, I do think, you know, we can learn a lot on our meditation cushions that teaches us about the world. But I think we also need to be, you know, really practicing this stuff in the world. Like, am I being mindful and present, you know, with my kids, not just on my cushion? Am I being mindful and present, you know, with, with my wife? And even beyond that, am I being, you know, mindful and present, you know, like while I'm driving? Am I being mindful and present and compassionate to the to the person who's checking out my groceries or am i just like staring at my phone and you know off in a different universe right these kinds of practices i think you know it's it's not just how we act you know in on our cushions which is the easy part it's how do we how do we act in the world and that's that's what's really important so I think there's a lot of lessons and I, I think that's that's again where raising resilience came from is like, well, what can we do if we're not sitting on our cushions? How can we still do something for our brains and our bodies and what else can we teach our kids that's really important and what can we do together as a family that's not sitting together in silence? Um, because I, I think that's so that all of that is so important. And you can teach that through mindfulness and meditation. You can also teach it separately. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, one of the sweet items in your book is the sleeping meditation. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about just, I mean, as, as parents, especially new parents that need to go in and check on your sleeping child and especially, you know, the, a newborn, make sure they're breathing and Mm -hmm. you want to take a second and just describe the sleeping meditation. I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, I think it's it's just taking like an equanimity meditation about, you know, just, you know, kind of imagining, you know, some acceptance around all the things that, that can happen and watching our children grow, imagining them grow. And and I'm also just so struck, like, you know, just when my son came home and, you know, he'd be sleeping in his bed, you know, the first few weeks and, and even still, right, like I'd, I'd come home from work and I'd poke my head in the door and see him sleeping. And I, I, I felt, and I still feel this when, you know, when I check on him before I go to bed, I feel this like little explosion in my chest, like in my, around my heart. It's like, I don't know if it's like oxytocin, you know, burst or, or what, but it's like, there's this, you know, just this, this incredible, you know, emotion and, and all these feelings that, that really come up um, just watching our kids sleep. And, and to me, I think, you know, we can, we can make that something of a practice too, right? Classic equanimity is, is learning how to just be with whatever arises and just watching our children as they sleep. And it's, you know, and watching our own reactions to that. It's like, oh, he's turning over. Like, is he about to wake up? Oh, no, right? Or is he having a nightmare? Oh, no, right? Just watching our own reactions and, and how much we're so in sync with our kids or, or if we're out of sync with our kids, it's a way of re resynchronizing with our kids, right. To be able to do this and, and just imagining, you know, all of the different, you know, things that, that can come up over the course of, of their life. Right. And ultimately, right. My a friend of mine once said, you know, becoming a parent or being a parent, is just one big process of letting go. Right. And I, 
I'm a dad, you know, and, you know, and, and I think for, for birth mothers, that's even more of a thing, right? You know, this, this person was part of your body and then just slowly, slowly letting them go. And that's, that's not so, that's not so easy, but we can, you know, eventually, you know, they're creating their own life and they're, you know, making their own decisions leading to their own joys and sorrows. And, and we'll, we're willing to be there for them hopefully through it all but we never never know what choices that they'll make um and at some point we need to slowly let go it becomes this this co-regulation and these you know decisions we're making together and at some point it's it's ultimately they've internalized hopefully our wisdom and our or whatever we've learned (laughs) or maybe someone else's wisdom right and bring that forward into their life so yeah all right. For anyone having difficulty with that, there's chapter three on renunciation, <laughs> sort of letting go. It is. Right. It is one of the right. one of the hardest one of the hardest things. I think the letting go and the 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 getting comfortable not knowing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and feeling like whatever you have to offer is it's somehow going to be good enough. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh, Chris. Well, thank you for thank for taking you. time to to talk today and to share about, about your book. Yeah. Again, so the fun. name of the book is raising resilience, the wisdom and science of happy families and thriving <laughs> children. And it's available at Amazon and other places. And people can visit your website if they want to read a little more about. Yeah, you. absolutely. My, my website's www.drchristopherwiller.com. That's drchristopherwiller.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, uh, drchriswillard.com or drchriswillard at drchriswillard, Dr. Chris Willard. And, um, and I, I'm posting a lot of content there. I'm actually doing all these challenges right now. So I've got like a, a 30 day walking challenge and 30 day eating challenge and a gratitude challenge and generosity challenge kind of coming up for the holidays. So just, you know, with a, a daily prompt every day and then, and then some more books, both for adults and kids coming out too, that I'm, I'm really excited about. So yeah. Yeah, a lot of good stuff coming forward. And those those kinds of challenges are great because I think people that are reading this books like yours and trying to kind of get into this new approach like the structure of or at least the being part of another group of people that are all trying to and the, you know mm-hmm. it's their support and and the group experience and so that's um that's fun. I'm glad you're able to offer those kinds of things. Yeah, 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 having a lot of fun with that stuff for sure. So, yeah. so you're working on a lot of things, and we'll have to <laughs> keep an eye out for the next book right. and yeah. and the next opportunity. Well, yeah. thank you, thank you so much for for sharing with us today, and um, yeah, I'm, I look forward to seeing what what comes out next. Great, great, thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Take care. <laughs>